been in a series. We took a break from it for October Bash, but age to age through the book of Malachi. Two more weeks after today, and we'll have completed the entire book. And the next three messages are very important for where God is taking us as a church. I encourage you to listen to them. I encourage you to study this book because I believe God is speaking to us in the here and in the now. As I've taught you before, Malachi was a post-exilic prophet. God is about to go silent for 400 years until we see one coming in a spirit of Elijah named John the Baptist who'd be the forerunner for Jesus Christ who would die for all of our sins and who brought a kingdom to us that is everlasting. And we're grateful for our Savior. We're grateful for our grace and redemption and forgiveness, but we must not forget who God is. Yes, he's a God of love. Yes, he's a God of grace, but he's also a just God. And he came in a manger the first time as a humble child like us. But the next time, he's coming back as righteous judge and ruler. The next time, he's coming back to clean house, to prosecute evil, and to take back what the enemy thinks he has stolen from us. Malachi chapter four, beginning with verse one, the title of my message is the day of the Lord, the King is coming. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. At this point in this prophetic book, the Lord has grown weary with the people of God, questioning him, responding to him sarcastically. He's losing his patience with the people of God. They're walking in cynicism and judgmentalism, and they're mocking him. He asked them, where is my honor? Where is my love? And they respond with an excuse, casually shrugging off the things of God. So much we can learn from these ancient people. One of the oldest atheistic questions is, why does bad things happen to God's people? Or why do bad things happen to good people? Also, why is there so much injustice in the world? How could a loving God allow such injustice in the world. We shouldn't be shocked by these questions. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? I, did Jesus really die on the cross and was raised from the dead? Is he really coming back? Was he really born of a virgin? Is this the truth or is this some kind of phantom, ghost, some imaginary story? We hear it all the time on the news and media outlets that this is a fairy tale, but my friend, it's not. It's recorded in history and it changed humanity. And his spirit 
leads us and guides us today because this is the truth of God's word. Malachi, he answers this question and he answers it by prophesying about the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is the day when the king comes on the scene. And when the king comes on the scene, miracles happen. And when the king comes on the scene, demons are disturbed. When the king comes on the scene, your enemies become his enemies. When the king comes on the scene, water turns to wine. People that have been laying by the pool of Bethesda 38 years get healed. Blind eyes get opened. Those that have cursed you will begin to bless you when the king comes on the scene. But furthermore, in the book of Revelation, when the king comes on the scene, armies will be defeated. The enemy will be put in the lake of fire once and for all. We will rule and reign with him, God's people forevermore. You cannot believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ without believing that he's coming back. He is coming back. And he's coming back as righteous judge. The first coming of Christ, he was the suffering servant. The second coming, he's king and ruler. The first came with the manifestation of victory. When he comes back again, he's coming back to ensure the victory. Israel longed for a Messiah, but history reveals they were not ready for the Messiah. Jesus was rejected by his own people. He had more intellect than all the rabbis and the Pharisees, but he was hated for it. He was God and man all at the same time, representing the Father and pioneering the way all at the same time. But they weren't ready for a savior. Only a remnant was prepared. It says in Malachi chapter two, verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way? Here's again, this dialogue that we've taught you these past few weeks. In what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Where is the God of justice? In other words, this time the accusation is not about love, it's not about honor, it's not about divorce, which we've preached to you on. This time the Lord says, you have now brought shame to the kingdom because you believe that you can do evil without any repercussions. You believe that you can do whatever you want and not acknowledge me as Lord, as Adonai. We live in a culture today that believes that because of grace, they can do whatever they want. I'm a grace preacher. I'll die a grace preacher. And I believe people need grace. I believe it's the vehicle that we use to reach this generation. But at some point, a saved person has to grow up just like a baby moves from breast milk or formula into solid food, at some point, you cannot just bask in the grace of God. At some point, you have to grow up and realize God has something for you to do. 
God has a purpose for you. God wants to clean you up, grow you up, so he can fill you up, so you can help build others up. That's what God wants to do. But if all you do is accept your free gift of grace and you never allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to clean you up, then you're on first base in the kingdom of God. You've never transitioned into the good part, the cleansing, the conviction, the transformation, the weeping, the fasting, the praying, the miraculous. Malachi 3, our text, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. Somebody say, the king is coming. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. I will come near you for judgment. Everybody say judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, those who operate in the demonic, adulterers, perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners. Nobody ever preaches that. <laughs> Keeping it all for yourself and not helping the people that work for you. Shame on you. And widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. Oh, sons of Jacob. So let's talk about the day of the Lord. I want to give you what the Bible teaches us about the first and second coming of Christ. We can draw some parallels from both. First, he comes in person. Everybody say in person. In both the first and second coming of Christ, he comes in person. The forerunner for the first was John the Baptist. The forerunner for the second, we learned the book of Revelation is Elijah. Some believe it's a spirit like Elijah. I believe it's Elijah. I believe it's Elijah. He shall prepare the way before me, it says in our text. So the way has been prepared. And Jesus comes on the scene in the natural the first time. He makes them aware of his kingdom, but many rejected it. The next time he comes, he will come to his temple that is currently occupied by an ungodly religion. And he will take back his rightful place. And the Bible says he will come to his temple as owner. Somebody say he owns it all. See, I know it's hard in American culture to understand or to even fathom a Jesus that comes back and, excuse my language, completely cleans house and kicks butt. But he's not a wimpy God. He's not a shiny, happy people holding hands God all the time. Every now and then when wicked is on the scene, the king has to come on the scene and he has to clean things up. And people say, why do all these bad things happen to God's people? Because it's not our time yet. Amen. Our time is eternity. There will be 
vengeance taken. There will be consequences for the people who mock, ridicule, and hurt the innocent. A way will be prepared before God. He will come to his temple as owner. The scales will be removed once and for all for our Jewish friends, and many of them will come to Christ. They will go from unbelief to evangelist. 144,000 of them. They will see God's people come to know the Lord, many of them. The question is, are we ready for the day of the Lord? Are we ready for him to come back in person? I don't believe we are. We don't worship like we should. We don't pray like we should. We don't serve like we should. We're not together with other believers like we should be. We're in competition. We're criticizing everybody that doesn't do it exactly like we do it. Don't chat me down while I'm preaching good. We're worried about silly stuff when people are going to hell. We're worried about silly stuff when people are hungry and addicted and broken. We're worried about silly stuff when people are losing their houses, their, their rent payments, they have no money, they have no jobs, they're on the streets, and we're worried about silly stuff. Are we ready for him to come in person? I am ready. There are days as good as the kingdom on earth is that I long for the kingdom of heaven. I long for a new body. I long for no cancer, no diabetes, no addiction, no depression, no anxiety, no struggles, no judgment, no hatefulness. I long for that land where the milk and honey flow. I long for it. He comes in person. Number two, he comes in power. As I said, he's not coming back as a baby in a manger. He's not coming back as a little harmless lamb. He's coming back as lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back as righteous judge. He's coming back to avenge the loss. He's coming back to put Satan in his rightful place. Matthew 24 says that the signs of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He came as a prophecy the first time and he's been patient with us. But his second coming will be a manifestation of his power, his holiness, and his righteousness. But who can endure, it says in chapter 2, the day of his coming? Who can endure in verse 2? Who can even stand when the king of glory comes on the scene? Who can even stand when the king comes on the scene? The word stand was used of a soldier and standing his ground. Think of all these heroic veterans in the house. This was a military word, and it meant to stand your ground. And the reason why many will not be able to stand when the king of glory comes is because they've been unwilling to stand for righteousness, justice, and peace now. And when he comes, they will be ashamed to stand because of how they've lived their lives. Me, 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 instead of his kingdom. He comes in person, he comes in power. Every deed will be brought into judgment when he comes again. Every hidden thing will be brought into judgment at his second coming. The Bible says in Philippians, every knee shall bow. Every pedophile's knee shall bow. Every Islamic knee will bow. Every Buddhist knee will bow. 
Every Jewish person's knee will bow. Every race will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That's the word of God. And that's the hope we should have as believers that the day of the Lord is coming. See, it's a glorious day for those of us who believe. But it should scare the hell out of you if you don't believe. Listen, I don't like preaching on hell, but hell's a real place. It's the truth of God's word. The Bible says that Jesus came not so anyone would go there. He came to rescue us from our damnation. He came to rescue us from trying to be good enough. He came to rescue us from trying to build religion instead of his kingdom. He came and he rescued us. All we have to do is accept his love and grace, friend. And then the day of the Lord becomes something we look forward to, not something we're scared of. Amen? He comes in person. He comes in power. He comes to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to disinfect. It says in our text, he used the launder soap. That was the bleach of that day. There in the Hebrew language, that's what the word meant, a disinfectant. So it's not just to come clean us up. He's going to disinfect us from all the things we've done or been exposed to that have infected our souls. Isn't that what the blood of Jesus did for us at his first coming? It cleansed us from all unrighteousness. You see, we, many of us in religion, we're still praying for what's already been paid for. We're still begging God for what he's already paid for. We're still working to try to save enough good works for that which has already been paid for. He comes to cleanse us. Next, he will come to convict us. It also mentions a refiner's fire. In that day, those ancient silver refineries, they had a process for making metals, and they would heat that liquid up in the pot so hot that when the silver became pure, the refiner could literally look down at that liquid metal and see his reflection in it. So do you understand when God promises to put us through the fire? That means when Jesus comes back and he raptures us unto himself, when he looks at us, he's going to see himself. Amen. No longer is he going to see the sins that have plagued us, the curse of Adam and Eve. When we go through that refiner's fire, God's going to see a reflection of himself. And when you're in the spirit of God now, do you know that when you're flowing in the spirit and you're being led by the spirit and the flesh of this world is not leading you, Occasionally, when God looks at you, he sees himself. He sees his creation. He sees his creation responding in a manner that brings him glory. He sees his creation operating in a manner that brings him joy. He sees his creation doing what they should have been doing from the start. Amen? That's why it's so important to be in the spirit on the Lord's day. 
He'll occasionally, when the king of glory looks down, he sees himself when he looks at you. What does God see when he looks at you? I know what he wants to see. He comes to not only cleanse, but to convict. But he also comes to capture us. The Bible teaches that he is coming for his children. In this church, we believe in a pre-trib rapture. You don't have to believe that to be a member. We all have different views. We can debate. It's not worth anyone's time. But at this church, we believe that God's coming for his people first before the seven-year tribulation. We believe that God's coming for a remnant. Now, I don't believe he's coming for everybody that, because I don't believe everybody's saved that thinks they're saved. I believe he's coming for a remnant that really knows him. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hebrews 13 says, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Number three, he comes in person, he comes in power, but he comes to prosecute. First, he came to pay a debt. Next, he comes to prosecute a devil. He's not messing around with evildoers any longer. He's not putting up with the enemy or his schemes or his demons any longer. He's not permitting them to do anything. Their day is done on that blessed day of the Lord. The word judgment in Hebrew is misfat, and it was used over 400 times in the Old Testament. It means a verdict and a sentence, to be issued a verdict and given a sentence. God is coming to judge sin, prosecute and convict sinners and the enemy, and implement his kingdom once and for all. First time he died as payment for the sins of humanity. The second time he's coming to judge those who rejected him, his love, his grace, his kingdom, and those who do not fear me. That's what it says in our text. Even during this persecution, from the prosecutor, he offers Israel grace. He surely does. He offers them grace. Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies in heaven. Somebody say, that's us. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike down the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the wine press of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The first time they mocked him as King of the Jews, this time they will know he's King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So after the rapture, when God comes for his people, there'll be a seven year period known as the Great Tribulation. As you know, 
This is a difficult period. I've preached to you about it. I have a series online right now. I have a house through the book of Revelation. We'll tell you what happens during that seven-year period. I don't have time this morning. But after that great tribulation, it all begins to come to an end. The world system has collapsed. Social and economic systems have collapsed. There's an army of 200 million marching from east and west. The only world system that has survived up until this point is the military. That will be the last surviving entity of the different governments represented. In the midst of this great, great confrontation called the Battle of Armageddon, there comes a heavenly interruption and the clouds begin to part and things begin to shift and shake and the king comes on the scene. And this time he's never leaving, amen. And this time he comes to execute vengeance. His appearing will be glorious to most and scary to many. Last time the world welcomed him with a stable in a barn surrounded by animal feces. They denied him and excluded him with a cross. He was fully human. He was, but he was also divine. He came as an unknown. At his second coming, things are going to be different, my friend. Philippians 2 tells us that when he died, he took the downward journey from glory to death on the cross. After his resurrection from the dead, he made his journey back upward. He is now exalted and glorified at the right hand of God the Father. He is now in his rightful place, waiting for his righteous people. His manhood was preeminent at his first coming, but his deity will be preeminent at his second coming. In other words, people were amazed that he was a man the first time he came, but they will be in awe of his glory the second time he comes. I know this is a lot of doctrine and we'll get more practical in the weeks to come, but I want you to know that day of the Lord is coming. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Every, even though those who pierced him will see him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Heaven will be opened. Heaven will be glorious. The people will come to him. He's coming and he's coming with clothes. What does Revelation say about his clothes? It says he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Listen to this. Why does it say in Revelation 19 that he's wearing a robe dipped in blood? Isaiah 63, the prophecy of the conquering Messiah says that he would wear blood-stained garments to symbolize two things. One, Jesus shed his blood for the loss so that they wouldn't be judged. Two, he will draw blood out of those who have hurt the kingdom when he comes back the second time. There will be blood on the clothes of the people that rejected him the second time. I know y'all don't like to preach like this harsh stuff, 
But let me tell you, he's coming and he's coming with clothes, a robe dipped in blood. And the, it's not his blood this time. It's the blood of those who've mocked him and made fun of him and made fun of his church and who've stood in his way. But he doesn't just have clothes. He's got crowns on, it says. The word crown here is diadem. This crown speaks of imperial dignity and honor. It's the greatest of all crowns. He is wearing the crown of authority. No longer will you have an option to submit to his authority. There will be no choice. Before he ascended, he declared that all authority had been given unto him. This is the manifestation of that. But let me get to the point. Yes, he's got clothes on, he's got crowns on, but let me tell you, he's got company with him. First time he came, he came heralded by angels. This time, he's coming back with us. This time he doesn't have to face the bitter cup of death alone. This time he's got an army with him. And those of us that know him will be with him. And guess what? His army's got clothes on too. It says that we will be clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And we will be following him on white horses. How many of you believe that this morning? Doesn't that sound cool? See, you don't even have to go to Disney World for a thrill. The King of Glory will give you the greatest ecstasy that you've ever experienced. And if you think you're going somewhere to float on a, crowd, a cloud with Grandma, you're mistaken. You're being called and commissioned and drafted into an army to reign with him forevermore. And listen, I'm a loving guy. There's a time to love, it says in the Bible, and there's a time to hate. There's a time when you got to ball your fist up and you got to punch that bully back. And it's after many attempts at grace, God comes back as judge to take vengeance it speaks of a sword. Listen, it speaks of a sword. It says that he's coming back and that he will judge with a great sword. What is that sword? Hebrews 4.12 tells us the sword is the word of God. So at the sound of his voice, the living and powerful word of God will be made manifest. That word that's sharper than any two-edged sword. That word that is piercing, it says, even to the division of soul and spirit. He's coming back and when he speaks, nations will fall and worship him. Nations will bow down to him. Ephesians 6 talks about the sword of the spirit. He will not be ashamed and he will be speaking the oracles of the Father, and all things will be made manifest. All of our questions will be answered. All doubts removed, healing comes. And I close here, his conviction. Why all this? Verse 20 and 21 of Revelation 19, and I'm done. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These were cast alive into the lake 
of fire burning with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with flesh. So friends, I tell you, he's coming back to execute wrath and vengeance. He's coming back to judge an ungodly world. When he came the first time, he was crucified before men. He stood before men on trial. When he comes back the next time, we'll all stand before him and we'll be in awe of his glory. My question for you, Abba's house and those watching is, are you ready? Are you ready for the day of the Lord? Are you ready for the king to come on the scene? Are you ready for his return? Do you have sin in your life? Do you have hate in your heart? Do you have anger in your heart? Do you have unforgiveness in your heart? Is the spirit moving in your life? Are you ready? Are you ready for that day? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? With every head bowed and every eye closed. You say, Pastor Ronnie, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I died today, if I would go to heaven or be in the presence of Jesus. I really don't know, but I wanna know. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he's coming back. I believe the word of God is true. If that's you and you wanna be saved, you wanna be forgiven once and for all, you wanna be a part of that great army and you wanna spend an eternity in heaven with Jesus, pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me for your glory. If you prayed that prayer in just a minute, I'm gonna have our pastors come down. In fact, pastors, go ahead and move into position if you would, please. If you prayed that prayer, maybe like those six teeny, teenage girls in Virginia last week or the 30 plus who made decisions last week, you say, Pastor Ronnie, today's my day. Look, I'm not gonna beg you to come down. When God's moving, I shouldn't have to beg you. But if today's your day and you've made that decision, you come tell one of these pastors, say, look, I wanna be baptized. I wanna join this church. I want you to help me pray that prayer that Pastor Ronnie just prayed. That's you, I want you to make that decision today. But some of you've made that decision. You have, but you're far from God. You've become a religious person, no spirit on you, no sword on you, no power on you, no fire on you, no faithfulness on you. You need a shift, my friend, to prepare you for this day. These pastors will pray the anointing on you, help you persevere through these difficult days ahead. Listen, things are about to get more difficult. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Would you stand on your feet? If you need ministry, if you prayed to receive Christ or you need prayer for healing, you need the anointing, you come. Father God, this is your house. We are ready for that day. Lord, we hope and pray that we're still standing and serving, seeing souls saved until you come. Lord, bless this church. Move the people of God back towards you in their faithfulness. Bring their families back to church. Bring their friends back to church. Move their hearts towards your kingdom, not the things of this world. Teach us, Lord, to worship and pray and believe and 
walk in anointing and favor. In Jesus' name. You come if you need ministry today. You come.